Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Dennis Yu. Dennis is the CEO of Blitz Metrics, a digital marketing company which partners with schools to train young adults. He has spent over a billion dollars on Facebook ads and spoken in over 730 times in 17 countries. He has also contributed and featured in articles with those such as the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and Fox News, just to name a few. If that wasn't impressive enough, Dennis' previous positions include being project manager with American Airlines and technical marketeer with Yahoo. So a very, very warm welcome, Dennis. Thank you, Rob. Good to hang out. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And before we dive through all your amazing achievements and experiences to date, we do have a customary icebreaker question here on the Legally Speaking podcast. Now, you're not an attorney, but imagine you were on the scale of one to 10, 10 being very real. How real would you rate the reality hit series Suits in terms of its reality connected to the law? I think two or three, because <laughs> anything on TV, <laughs> in reality, I know it's staged because we had a lot of AMC shows that were reality shows, and I was disappointed to find that they were staged. Yeah, I think two or three is a very fair, fair number, and we will move swiftly on. So we like to start at the beginning with all of our guests. So tell us a bit about your family background and, and upbringing, Dennis. Well, I'm an ABC, which that means American-born Chinese. And I didn't speak English when I started. So the first words I learned were not good words. So I got in a lot of trouble. And that caused me to want to succeed. And I studied English hours and hours per day until I eventually represented California in the National Spelling Bee in Washington, D.C. in 1988. And I was one of those math geniuses. So I traveled and did math competitions. And I just wanted to succeed, you know, being in America. And so being good at math, but not really knowing how to engage with other people, I became a, a math person and I you know, studied data and economics and finance. And when the internet came around, I was just in the right place to build websites and built websites for a lot of companies. And the CEO of American Airlines took a liking to me. So I joined American Airlines and built the website there and then eventually made it to Yahoo. So I've been kind of a data person all along. And so where did your initial interest for internet marketing stem from? I just thought the building websites was really key. And uh, before websites, there was CompuServe. I did freaking on bulletin boards. If you guys remember, I got dropped off at school in the morning at 6.37 a.m. So I had nothing to do for an hour or two. So it was just a great time to learn how to hack phone systems that eventually became dial-up, that eventually became the internet. So I didn't realize the internet 30 plus years ago was going to be what it was. But given that I knew something about telephony and a lot of the tech behind there, I was just in the right place at the right time. I built some of the first, well, we built the, the first internet voting, if you can believe it or not. Wow. And we put websites like Cartier. So Cartier is a high-end French jeweler, right, on the internet. They were afraid of being on the internet because they wanted to maintain their standard of fine luxury and whatnot. But it was just really cool. Like we did a multi-billion dollar companies like Raytheon. We did their intranet because they wanted to have a presence and employees could be able to find information. And, you know, today that stuff is really easy. But back then there wasn't WordPress, there, there wasn't PHP, there weren't databases, there 
there wasn't even dynamic HTML. We were still at HTML4 back in the late 80s. Wow. And, and what a what a transition. I think over the last 30 years, no one would have anticipated how fast the internet and how far we would come to the present day when we're talking about the creator economy and NFTs and everything else in, in, in between. So we both touched on the mention that you started your career with American Airlines. They needed a website building, obviously. Just tell us a bit more. I want to dig a bit deeper. Why did you decide to work for this company? And what experiences did that provide with you specifically that was the launch pad for you? It was all because of my mentor. And I was going to go to Goldman Sachs or McKinsey because that was the path. But he convinced me, you should start at American Airlines. And they couldn't pay me very much money because of the different pay scales. And he told me that I should focus on my learning curve instead of my earning curve. So I made $36,500 per year as my salary instead of something that would have been a lot more. And I hired people that were making a quarter million dollars a year, or half a million dollars a year. And to be an instant vice president as a 20 something was crazy, but I had the opportunity to do deals in Silicon Valley and, you know, being American airlines, everyone wanted to sell software and hardware to me. So I got the Royal first class red carpet treatment. And I think there would have been no better education for me. And I look back and I didn't realize, I mean, now I see that, but being in the right place at the right time, when you have something that's about to take off, was absolutely incredible. And that's that's been a compounding advantage because when you as a early 20 something, you have easy access to the CEOs of the top Silicon Valley companies, then you can talk to anyone that you want. So I absolutely abused that and milked that and took advantage of that. I have a full <laughs> just of emails and pictures and meetings with CEOs of Silicon Valley companies. Because when you're well-known and you're a customer, then they invite you to speak at their conference. So imagine you're like 22 and you're the closing keynote at a conference with 2,000 people in there because you're representing American Airlines, right? So I'm doing yeah. I'm buying the software from Oracle and Kana and Broadvision and Epiphany and RSW and all these other guys because they all want me to be their speakers saying, well, American Airlines is talking about the future of CRM and internet marketing and multi-channel, whether it's at the gate or online or through mail, right? It was great. And I was the reference customer too for a bunch of deals because you know, other heads of internet marketing, it wasn't called digital marketing back then. They wanted someone to talk to. So I was one of the best reference customers because I was reasonably eloquent and I actually enjoyed talking to other VPs and, and heads of marketing. I had you know, CMOs of Sheraton and Sears and Amazon and folks like that. It was just crazy. Wow. And what an incredible story in terms of those contacts and that Rolodex. And I love what you say there, focusing on your learning curve, not your earning curve. I think that's really valuable insights and how important having a mentor early on in your career was that set you up. Some real good nuggets there. Thank you so much. So let's fast forward then to 2009. Blitz Metrics was founded. Tell us a little bit more about the company and why you decided to create a platform like this. Well, I'd worked at Yahoo for quite some time. I built the analytics there as an early employee. And I wanted other people who were in my situation to be able to get mentorship too. Because I didn't know what I wanted from a career standpoint. Because when I was trying to get a job initially, I couldn't even get an interview. I wanted to work at Nike. They wouldn't even talk to me. I had great grades. I had 
all sorts of things, a great resume, right? Built a lot of good websites. So I figured wouldn't Nike, but you know, I was an athlete. I ran a 407 mile, all kinds of things like that. But it wasn't until Al Casey, who is the CEO of American Airlines, told me, hey, you need to build relationships. Hey, it's not just about your grades. It's about knowing people. Do you know somebody who works at Nike or do you know somebody who knows somebody? And that's what kicked off this whole angle into relationships because I was so scared of talking to people that I wouldn't answer the phone. I told my career counselor, hey, I don't know how to answer the phone. Like, what do you say? And if you want to end the conversation, what do you say? Or how do you say goodbye? Or how do you ask questions? Or I just didn't, I would just freeze up. You probably wouldn't think that now, given we've hung out in Clubhouse and I've done a lot of public speaking, but that's where I was before. And the power of mentorship has been so important to me. And I wanted other people, other young adults that were looking for career advice or looking how to learn or looking how to get a job to be able to have the benefit that I had. So we've created mentorship on a much larger scale. And it's not just for young adults, but it's for anybody especially because of what's happened in the last year or so where people have had to go online. If you can just put out your knowledge and put out your ability to train people in what you know how to do, you're not only growing your company, you're doing something good in your community, but it's just a good thing to do, especially in the world of digital marketing. It's not like being a lawyer where you have to pass the bar. It's not like being a pilot where you have to go to flight school. In digital marketing, there isn't any kind of certification as such. So the fact that we're able to work with folks like GoDaddy or Infusionsoft or other big companies to have a certification and a training is something that I've always wanted. It just makes me feel good. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you are doing some, some incredible work. And that leads very nicely onto Blitz Metrics Academy, because I know you run a number of courses. So can you just give us a bit of an overview of the types of courses you provide for our listeners? We have 48 courses. And it covers everything that we have done in digital marketing multiple times. So the courses are only from our own direct experience based on checklists that are step-by-step -step recipes. So for example, digital plumbing is usually the one that everyone likes to start with because it's tracking and pixels and remarketing and email audiences and measurement and optimization and just getting all your data together, right? And so we have checklists that tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people have gone through to set up their tracking because they don't know how to set up their... Google Tag Manager, and they're, what, what's that, right? And what are all these different pixels? And how do I set up retargeting on Facebook, LinkedIn, Google, and Pinterest, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever it is, right? All that data in one place, or iOS 14. And we teach the one-minute video course. How do you tell your story in one minute? How do you talk to your clients? How do you get video out there in a way that won't get you in trouble? Because we have a lot of doctors. We have a lot of attorneys, real estate agents. They're not good at video. They're afraid of messing up on video, but we teach them how to do one minute videos. So we have a lot of attorneys like Ali Awad as, as one of the top personal injury attorneys, probably the top one in social media using these techniques. And we have the dollar a day course, which everyone's learning how to spend a dollar a day and boosting posts on Twitter and Facebook and other social networks to drive more leads and sales and doing it the right way instead of you know trying to become famous on social media or getting 10,000 followers, but how do I get more clients? How do I generate more leads? How do I then tie that in with plumbing? We have courses on how to hire a virtual assistant. That's a really popular one because once you get these systems going and you're generating more income, you want to hire other people to do it and build your own team, maybe kick out your agency, right? 
We have a course on how to start an agency that we've made for young adults, especially because they understand social media and all the particular nuances of social media. It's taught by people who are half my age because I don't understand how to use TikTok. So we hire other people to teach from direct example. So everything we've done, we want to do repeatedly. We want to document it along the way and then make it repeatable so other people can follow those same checklists. And if other people can follow it without having to come talk to me or come talk to whoever made the course, that's how we measure course success. Yeah, and it's it's wonderful what you're, you're, you're doing. And there's so many nice mentions there. And one thing I picked up on is, yes, don't just have 10,000 followers for vanity. What you're doing is really getting that, you use the word plumbing and the strategy and the sanity, you know, sanity over vanity. I think there's a lot of vanity with social media, but you're really teaching people the fine art of how you can generate more leads and get more clients for, for, for your business. And this is real. And it's a big opportunity, particularly for lawyers and attorneys around the world um, as we move into more of this digital creator economy. So your company also runs a blog and you recently discussed how Facebook ads can take you from $20,000 a month to over 100000 per month. What would you say is the trick to doing this effectively? For attorneys, it's about mastering Google My Business. And a lot of attorneys think that that is some side thing to work on because they, for some reason, attorneys like to focus on the website and then they focus on social media or LinkedIn, depending on how many attorneys are in your firm. But Google My Business is absolutely critical because that is what Google, for local, right? When you do a search on local, you could look for a, a local, you know, car accident attorney or divorce attorney or personal injury attorney or whatever it is. And you're going to see the local three-pack, right, Rob? And the local three-pack is the key. It's 90% of the leads that you're going to drive. And it's a combination of SEO. A lot of people think it's reviews, you know, having a lot of reviews, but that's not true because review velocity, the number of reviews that you're getting consistently, especially over the last two weeks is what Google cares about, that they're good reviews. You can get other folks suspended. So if you're competing in an area where there's four or five other attorneys and you're not showing up, it's actually pretty easy to get the other attorneys suspended, right? But you need to know, and they could probably get you suspended because all you need is a is to report them on a, I didn't, you didn't hear me say this, or maybe you did, but the, if they've made, if they violated any of Google's policies in setting up their Google My Business, you can report them, right? So there's just a lot of things on Google My Business that you can upload photos, you can have posts, you can have, have Q&A. If you don't have Q&A, you can ask the questions and answer them too. There's a lot of things that people don't know about Google My Business. It ties in with your SEO because of things like Google Search Console, Google Analytics, of course, you know, Google Ads. In the United States, you have local service ads, which are fantastic, which a lot of people think they already have because they have Google ads, but that's not the same thing because Google guaranteed and Google verified show above the regular ads. See, these are things that attorneys just don't know about. It's so easy to do. And that's why we're delighted to have you today, Dennis, to, to educate our listeners on what some of the things they should be thinking about. So sticking with Facebook, what should marketeers be focusing on when it comes to their own sort of Facebook efforts? What are some of the common mistakes that businesses make? Oh, where do we even start? With, <laughs> with Facebook, the biggest issue is that they're not producing vertical video because people, when they have their cell phone, they're holding it vertically, right? They're not holding it horizontally. So if it's vertical, and if you know video is the key to drive engagement because it's how people connect, because the algorithm favors video, then 
how do you go about producing lots and lots of short 15 second or one minute long vertical videos? What is the content strategy for organizing those videos? How do you make the videos? How do you edit the videos? How do you distribute them? How do you tie in your Instagram business profile? How do you tie in your website? All these other components. The biggest mistake is not getting those videos and organizing them the right way and then doing things like boosting or using Facebook lead forms to be able to drive more leads and tie it in with the rest of your marketing. We see people hire a young adult, maybe like a young 23-year-old girl to do their social media thinking, oh yeah, they know social media, so we'll just hire, hire one of them to do it. And that's a big mistake. There's all kinds of mistakes. They're not doing remarketing, right? They're not measuring the performance in terms of their cost per lead and cost per new client because they don't know that you could measure all that inside Facebook's analytics platforms. There's just lots of cool tools that people just don't know about as part of Facebook. And it's probably worth pointing out for people that have no concept of marketing, what remarketing actually is, because that's super important, isn't it? And I think yeah. there's a lot of people yeah. uh, miss that. So what's your definition of remarketing? Remarketing is marketing again to somebody because you had a first touch. So if they were on your website, you know, the ads that follow you around because you just looked at a particular hotel room and now you see that hotel room follow that particular product on Amazon, you see it follow you around. It seems like magic, but it's called retargeting, which is part of remarketing. And so people drop, well, that site that you were looking at products or whatever, they dropped a pixel on you, right? They cookied you and now they can remarket you. So from that cookie, they can, that it can be, you know, Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn or Google, all of these different websites allow you to do remarketing by dropping, you, you drop their pixel on those users. And that's just a fancy way of tracking people. But the thing is you have to fire all the pixels at the same time. It costs nothing to set up. It's super affordable and you're targeting just those people who came to your website. But you need a container to store all those pixels. And so that's what Google Tag Manager is with universal pixels, all this kind of technical stuff to be able to follow people around. Because if they came to your site or if they're in your email list or if they watched a video of yours on Facebook, then you can talk to them again, which is called remarketing. So imagine, Rob, you had a great video and it was explaining, what do you do when the police stop you? You know, or what are your rights? What if someone comes into your home and you shoot them? What should you know about what you can do and what you can't do about self-defense? And someone watches 10 minutes of that video, but then they go off to a meeting or something else like that. Well, you just missed that opportunity to follow up with them automatically by saying, oh, hey, Rob here again. And I also wanted to let you know that, you know, here's other things you need to know about whatever that topic is they just saw a video on. And if yeah. you'd like to get a guide on the 10 ways on how to do whatever, put in your email address. So it allows for the, the continuity of conversations. And most attorneys, most people, most marketers in general don't even know that you can build these kind of sequences, but you need to have the data and tracking in place to do that. And you need the content for the next thing you say to them at each point. Yeah, no, so true and such valuable shares. So really appreciate that, Dennis. And we, we've touched on it, but could you tell us a little bit more about the dollar a day Facebook strategy and why it's such a successful marketing strategy? So I'm sure there'll be a lot of skeptics saying a dollar a day, that's never going to work. It's funny because we spent a billion dollars on this dollar a day technique. And a lot of folks are saying, well, I'm a big company and we spend millions of dollars on our campaigns. What is this dollar a day thing? This is for children mm -hmm. or something. No, it's actually a very smart testing methodology because if you want to win, you know that 
in a competitive landscape. Google and Facebook have 80% of the digital ad ecosystem dollars anyway. So you, it's a Coke and Pepsi kind of game there. And the, the cost is getting more expensive. And the sophistication of both of those algorithms are such that if you can find a winner, you can put a dollar a day for seven days. So it's $7 against a particular ad and against 50 of them. So now you're spending $350 and find the winners. So, you know, like the, you know, America's Got Talent or Britain's Got Talent or these shows where people move their way all the way up through these different brackets until you have a winner, right? That's what you're doing here. You're auditioning all kinds of creative concepts. And the one that wins will then spend $10 a day or $100 a day. We've had certain ads that started at a dollar a day, and then we decided to put a million dollars against it. But Rob, would you be willing to just bet a million dollars on an ad? You think it's a great ad. You thought it was clever, and you just straight up put a million dollars on it just like that, would you? Of course not, no. <laughs> so, What if you could take any ad you've ever made over the last 10 years and reuse it, which is what we call your greatest hits? So library of these, so you don't have to keep making new ads. A lot of people think you're like a, a newspaper where every day you have to come up with news. Every day there's you know weather, sports, and business, and whatever it is. That's the wrong model in digital marketing, unless you're a publisher, unless you actually are a newspaper, magazine, or whatever. But if your business makes money off of clients or off of products instead of how many subscribers come and you know buy your newspaper, then instead of the publisher model, you need to have the greatest hits model. So I was here in Vegas and I happened to see, you know, Guns N' Roses? Yeah, yes. Axl Rose, you know, Cold November Rain, Sweet Child of Mine, Welcome to the Jungle, all these different songs. I saw him perform that live here in Las Vegas, which is incredible because you have the old fat Axel, right? And those are all off of the album Appetite for Destruction from 1987. And he's still earning royalties off of those songs because it's the greatest hit from 30 something years ago. And that's how it needs to be in digital marketing. Find something that performed really well. It could be a story. It could be a mention. It could be how you became a lawyer. It could be your family values. It could be any kind of story that you have. It could be a patient or a customer or a client testimonial. And you can reuse that. From 1987, you remember all those songs, right? Patience, yeah. Wild of Mine, and all, all this. But has he had any songs since then? Do you remember any songs that he's had since then? Nope. But, but then he's earning money off of, he's earning royalties. He's getting performance off of what he had many years ago. And that's how it needs to be in digital marketing. We have to move from this publisher mentality where every day I've got, I've, I have to tweet 10 times per day or some nonsense like that, right? To check the box. Because some people are thinking, I need to be on social media. I need to run ads on Facebook. I need to be on Pinterest and Snapchat. I need to do this because just because you're supposed to do this, which creates a publisher mentality, just like this robot that's checking the box every day and shifting to, wait a minute. With more and more information being on the internet, I can't just put out a bunch of garbage because it's more important to win. And if I have a winner, that greatest hit, I don't have to do anything for months. I just need to test in the beginning to get a few things out there. I need to create videos. I need to tell stories. And when I find these winners, I just let them run. And I don't have to worry about, oh, here's our Christmas special or here's the latest news for you know Monday, July 19th. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, again, such, such valuable information. And it's so, so true. And I think the, the art of this is really making sure that you don't fall into all the bad habits that you see. You know, you're teaching real yeah. strategy here. 
And it's super important that people take note that if you do it correctly, it can be super beneficial for your businesses. And you touched on it earlier. We talked about the importance of the one minute videos and you talked about sort of vertical and being aligned. Can you expand just a little bit more on, I guess, nailing that one minute video? Anything you would say to people to inspire them to do it? Well, in the beginning, you have a hook. You have to capture their attention. So you don't say who you are and the firm you're with. You say something like, when I was 18, I dropped out of college because I wanted to be a professional athlete and run for Nike. Wow, that's interesting. I want to hear more, right? When I was six years old at San Diego, a seagull swooped down when I was at the San Diego Zoo and snatched the fries out of my plate and ran off and left me crying. Oh my goodness, what happened, right? You have some kind of hook. And the best way to start is to say, when I was. Don't say, I'm going to tell you a story about why it's important to wear your seatbelt. Like, I don't care about that. Or I'm so-and-so and these are my accomplishments. Who cares? You start with the story. You go immediately into the story. And the best way is to say, when I was, when I was 18, this thing happened to me. Yeah. And it's, again, brilliant. And, you know, we talk about the importance of storytelling and getting that right, I think. And, and it's less words with more impact. So I always say less is more and it's, it's brilliant. So, yeah, thanks again for sharing that. So for business individuals that are listening, how important is it that they have a presence, a brand, not just necessarily on Facebook, but across multiple platforms? If you're in a relationship driven business, people need to know, like and trust you. They need to get a sense of who you are and your values. Of course, they need to know about your credentials and your training and the fact that you're good at what you do. But ultimately, people do business with people. Unless you're selling half-inch corrugated nails in a commodity kind of space where people will just buy from whoever the cheapest supplier is, then people will pay more significantly. And price isn't really the issue. So let's say, Rob, that, you know, God forbid you needed heart surgery, let's say you had a you know, child, are you going to go for the cheapest doctor? Let's say that you had, you know, I, that, that you, there's another doctor that is well-respected. You've looked them up, checked them out. They're top-notch. And then let's say I'm a pretty good surgeon, but you've never heard of me. And I say, hey, Rob, if you go with me and you sign up and the next day, I'll give it to you for half off. What would you think? Yeah, it's, 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 it's so true. You want to make sure that you go with the no like, and trust factor, right? It's all about reputation and increasingly yeah. so. And social media makes it so that everyone's closets have gotten smaller. People yeah. know about you. They look at you. Before, they, a lot of people, they still think about, oh, I need to make our website really nice. How many visits do you think occur or what percent of the time do prospective customers and clients go look at that firm's social media or look at your social media before ever going to the website? So true. So true. You know, I, I say in our industry, in the recruiting industry for lawyers, you know, our, our LinkedIn's are just as valuable, if not more valuable than, you know, our website. And it's important that they're up to date and they're active and they're fueling the ecosystem. Yeah. 73% of the time, by the time they've come to your website, they've already decided who they're going to go with. Now they're just kind of checking you out. So yeah, your LinkedIn, your reviews on Google, your social media, all those things are so key. And thus the attorneys or any service provider, any kind of professional needs to create these little videos and then distribute them across all the social media. So a lot of people are like, well, I don't have time. Should I go with Twitter or LinkedIn or YouTube or whatever it is? And I say, no, create the video and separate out the creation of the video from the distribution. 
people get so focused on the channel, they forget about just make the content. Then we have a bunch of virtual assistants in the Philippines working for $500 a month full-time, taking that video, cutting it up, editing it, and then putting it, turning it into blog posts, turning it into 15 second Instagram stories, turning it into square Instagram, 60 second videos, all the different formats that you're going to cut up from, you know, it's like taking a cow and then you can make hamburgers and steak and, you know, whatever kinds of your, your favorite form of food is, right? Yeah. And so, so true. Again, such valuable information. So, uh, yes, I'm loving the conversation, Dennis. And I guess that leads on to how we first met. We first met on the first sort of drop-in audio app Clubhouse. And I know you're very active on there, as am I. What do you think makes the platform stand out and why or how should people go about utilizing that for marketing opportunities? So, Rob, I think of Clubhouse as the ultimate COVID app. <laughs> okay. When COVID happened, I had 12 speaking gigs internationally. They were going to bring me to these countries that I'd never been to, pay me a lot of money for just speaking for 60 minutes on stage, which is crazy, but okay. And not being able to travel, not, I have not left the United States for over a year, which is crazy, right? That causes people to want to connect in other ways. And thus folks like speakers and authors and experts flock to places like Clubhouse and Clubhouse has been an incredible way to meet people that you'd normally not be able to meet because of COVID. So I remember opening up a room and all of a sudden Grant Cardone popped into my room. Then the CEO of T-Mobile, which is a huge telecom company, you know, John Lee would pop into my rooms and we'd have these great conversations about whatever kind of topic it was. And you never know what's going to happen. And because most of these rooms aren't being recorded, you have to be there and it has to be authentic because it's your voice. On all the other channels, it can be pre-recorded. It can be someone else who's making banner ads or loading ads, but in Clubhouse, it's your voice only. So you have to actually be there. It can't be a company. It can't be Nike. It can be representatives of Nike. And so that's something fresh and interesting with Clubhouse. And because there was so much FOMO where you had to have an invite to come in and it was only iPhone at first, the first few hundred thousand people there were all really cool kinds of A-list sorts of people that you want to meet with, successful entrepreneurs. So it then caused everyone else to want to be there. Clubhouse really isn't as exciting as it was before, but what do they have now? 15, 20 million users? It's yeah. still early in the game. Still very yeah. early, but still in the top one, you know, one to 2% of that app rolling out. Yeah. And it's going to be exciting to see what happens in the future with the whole social audio space in general and what certain other platforms are thinking and going to be doing. Yeah. Obviously, we've seen Twitter spaces and all the others emerge. Um, but I think that's an exciting space for, for, for sure. Okay, so before we wrap up, um, Dennis, finally, what changes do you see for marketeers, say, over the next five years or so? The algorithms are getting so Black Mirror or Westworld sophisticated that increasingly marketers need to just create video and then the system's going to cut it up the system will, for example, take your Zoom calls and pull out the key highlights and say, would you like to use this as a client testimonial and distribute that across your marketing? And of course, you have agreement where they have to say yes and you say yes, and all that will happen. The bidding, the tracking, all those things will be taken care of because the, when you want to move to frictionless where you have full automation, I remember having meetings at Facebook's headquarters with the engineers about what does it really mean in another five or 10 years from now? You're going to have automation on three levels for goals, content, and targeting. And so the goals were already pretty much there in automation where all the bidding, 
and goal optimization and OCPM and those kinds of things where there's automatic adjustments there. Targeting, retargeting is already handled, lookalike audiences, all that data-driven optimization is already there. The only thing missing is that middle piece, which is content. So if we're moving towards, well, actually, even today, we're at the point where if you can upload the content into Google and Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter to some degree, the system will optimize for you. So you don't need, that's why I've said the Facebook marketing specialist will not be a role anymore. The digital marketing specialist, the ad specialist, all those people are going to be out of jobs, just like self-driving cars in 10 years from now, right? If you're a truck driver, you probably want to start looking for another career, I would think. And same thing in marketing. If you're a tool-specific marketer, I predict that you are going to be dead in a few years in terms of career-wise, unless you can move to the strategy of content. Look, I don't even want to be on video. I have a face made for radio. Maybe my voice sounds good here if you're listening, but it's, it's what you're saying. It's your relationships and the ability to produce content is what differentiates one provider from another provider, especially when they are collecting podcasts. Basically, everything's a podcast now, right? This is a podcast. Your YouTube channels are podcasts. The you know, Clubhouse apps and all the next social networks, they're, they're gonna, you know, every year or two, there's another social network. They're all increasingly looking like podcasts because it's about the sharing of interesting how-to kind of information. And when you approach marketing from the standpoint of education more than selling, then you'll be positioned in the right way. And such a valuable piece to mention and to end on there. And it talk a lot about, you know, don't focus on the, you know, the, the money, focus on the bigger the problem you can educate and solve, the better you'll be in the long term. So yes, absolutely love that, Dennis. So if people want to follow or get in touch with you about anything we've discussed today, what's the best way for them to do that? Feel free to shout out any of your web links or relevant social media. We'll also make sure we share them with this episode for you too. Follow me on LinkedIn or you can Google me or YouTube or Twitter, whatever your favorite channel is. Look for the one with the blue check mark and that one's going to be me. You can also go to teamblitznation.com and you can see all our different products and courses as well. I love to connect with people. Most of the time, it's actually me that responds. So if you send me a question, I'll reply, but it might take me a day or two. But I love sharing. I love practicing what we preach and love hanging out with other smart folks like you, Rob. Ah, Dennis, you're, you're far too kind. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Want to wish you lots of continued success with your Blitz metrics and all your future ventures. But from all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast, over and out. Thank you, Rob. This week's review comes from Amber Booth. Amber says, I really enjoy listening to this podcast and would highly recommend to anyone looking to get into the legal profession. Thank you so much for your kind words, Amber. We really appreciate your support for the show. It means a lot to all of us on the team. Make sure you leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you want the chance to be given a shout out next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Legally Speaking Podcast. If you enjoyed the show and want to help support us, remember to leave us a rating and review on Apple iTunes. You can also support the show and gain exclusive benefits, bonus content, and much more by signing up to our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com forward slash Legally Speaking Podcast. Thanks for listening.